to be honest, I can be a workaholic. And so we were like, shoot, okay, so we have this tiny child and we have this passive income coming in, which is fantastic. But now we need to replace my income. Because what I realized is that once we had this, you know, tiny little person now in our family is I wanted to spend more time with our family. Um, so for the, that five years, we'd been hustling and working like crazy to build up this passive income. And then all of a sudden it was like, I don't, I don't want to work that hard anymore. Um, I don't, I don't want to work, you know, seven days a week. That's not what this is about. You're listening to investing for good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design and impact the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, Julie, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. How are you? Happy no, New I'm, Year, by the way. I guess yeah. No, the, right. Yeah. Right. Happy First New one. Year to you. <laughs> I know. I know. We were, um, we were just in Portland over the holidays, and yeah. um, we did our second home exchange. This is. I don't know if I told you, but this is way different from the first one because the first one we did in Spain last year, the family uh-huh. also had young kids, so they uh-huh. had you know more of the IKEA furniture and yeah. the toys. Right. Uh-huh. They had lots of toys, which was great. This family was an older older couple with grown kids who had left the house. So they had beautiful furnishings throughout their home. They had a library in their oh, home, no. speaker system, beautifully landscaped backyard. And so my husband and I are looking around. We're like, oh, this is what we have to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. But, were, there were no like expensive vases sitting around on like one of oh, those really tall columns yeah. like where you're like, no. <laughs> oh, we go Don't in and we move all there. that stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. yeah, you totally have to. Oh my gosh, that would make me so nervous. That I sounds know. cool though. I'll yeah. have to look into that. I've never thought of doing a, a home exchange, but I'll have to look into yeah. that. So while you were there, they were in your mm-hmm. house. Yes. That is so bizarre. Yeah. Oh my I know gosh, it's not for so everyone because people yeah. are like, well, what do you do with your valuables or your, you know, your pr- private yeah. documents and things like that? Yeah. And we've never, we well, so far we've only done two, <laughs> uh-huh. but uh-huh. we have not had a problem with that at all. In fact, we communicate a lot with the, the art exchange family, uh-huh. um, both leading up to the exchange and throughout the exchange. So we get to know cool. them pretty well. And then, um, you know, both times when I've come home, my home has been cleaner than when I left it. (laughs) Oh, nice. And so you don't clean it up for them, Annie? Well, <laughs> I, I know now not to do a home job. exchange with you. Right. <laughs> you do the cleaning after, not before. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so, it's so bizarre. It's such a it's such a unique way to get to know people because yeah. when I'm in yeah. I when I'm in their home, I'm thinking about them all the time. I've never met them in person, but I'm thinking about them all the time because I'm like, uh-huh. huh. I like how they put this over here. Oh, I should think uh-huh. about doing that in my home. Oh, I can imagine them standing at the mirror in the morning, getting ready. You know, it's like oh, all the so daily yeah. little things. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, 
Anyway, well, that enough about like that. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, today we have an awesome guest on the podcast, Jennifer Beatles, creator and president of Agents Invest. She has created this really unique thing where she helps people to invest in real estate to achieve financial freedom, but she does it not just locally in Seattle where she's based, but she's really created a network of agents who know how to work with and serve real estate investors throughout the country. Yeah, I feel like it's something that is so sorely needed in the real estate space. It's something that I took a lot of time to search for back three years ago when I was looking at getting into real estate and had a really tough time finding. Uh, And I think it's something that still holds me back from continuing to invest in single family homes is just not having access to the good deals that are a good fit for an investor, not for someone who wants to own a primary home. So that's such a valuable thing that she's doing. Definitely, I'm going to be giving her a call just to check it out. I'm curious to see what kind of um, inventory they have and uh, what kind of ROI they're presenting on those deals. But uh, yeah, yeah, this was such a good interview because um, you know, Jennifer started when she was so young. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, I wish that I started when I was 19. I mean, geez, like <laughs> when I was 19, I was not thinking about real estate. That's for sure. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so to be financially free at her age now, uh, is incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. and all the fun things that she gets to do with her five-year-old daughter is so impressive. So yeah, it was a good show. Yeah, yeah. And she talks about how she learned it from her grandfather. And now she's passing it on to her daughter and, and just showing her all the incredible things that real estate can do for your life. So enjoy this episode with Jennifer Beatles. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing great. So excited to be here with you guys today. Good. We are excited to have you and to really dig into your story and all the amazing things that you've done. Now, Jennifer, I know that you made your first real estate purchase when you were just 21. I can't believe it. (laughs) And then you went on to do all sorts of things in real estate, land development, construction management, flipping, and more. And we'll definitely dig into all of that. But to start, take us back to when you were 21. I mean, I remember when I was 21 and, and buying real estate was the last Same thing here. On Same my here. Mind. So <laughs> what led to that first deal and what, I mean, what really gave you the courage to follow through? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great question. I've always been a big goal setter and I've always been really super interested in real estate. So my grandfather was big into real estate. So he owned commercial properties um, and the funny thing, sometimes real estate skips a generation. Mm-hmm. And so, and so my parents wanted, yeah, we hear that a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. Grandparents are in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the funny thing is my parents, you know, they're business owners, but they've really, I mean, at this point in their lives, they've only ever owned three properties. And I think I had, you know, more than that by the time I was, you know, 23, 24. <laughs> but my grandfather was big into commercial real estate. And so I just always had an interest in real estate. And so, um, you know, I was working two jobs at the time and saving up all the money that I could. And I just wanted to own a house. I just wanted to kind of get my, you know, start in real estate. And I figured um, at that point, you know, I would buy a house. So I made the decision, you know, saved up all the money that I could, found the 
literally the cheapest and probably the worst property in town <laughs> that I could afford. Um, but the interesting thing about it is that it had development potential. And so while it was built in 1901, I mean, half kind of like falling oh. down, like, like barely uh, livable, <laughs> I knew that there could be potential down the road. And so I think that that's like a theme for me is I love seeing potential and finding those um, kind of like diamonds in the rough mm-hmm. and making them great. And so, so yeah, so I started, you know, bought that first property and there were a couple of things that I realized in buying that first property. One is the real estate agent made a ton of money for what he did for the yeah. transaction. I saw the HUD statement and I was like, wow, he made $7,500 for showing us one house and showing up at the inspection. Like that, that's fantastic. And then the other thing is I, I was just like, wow, this is so exciting. It's so exciting to own something for myself that I can paint, I can do work on and you know, that I could control this asset now. So I made the decision that I wanted to somehow get into real estate, um, but I wasn't quite sure what my next direction would be. So I decided, well, hey, why don't I just go all in and try to work for a builder or a general contractor or somehow like get into the real estate industry? And so um, I put my resume out there and pretty much, I think it was like within 30 or 30 or 45 days of closing on that house, um, I was hired as an admin for a local builder. Mm. And that really just, I mean, that started everything. And that's kind of how I got into the building and development um, and learning all about that. Um, But what's really interesting about that opportunity was that in addition to like building spec houses and selling them, um, the owners actually built duplexes and refinanced them and kept them. And so I learned a lot of lessons about you know, when you have business income, also be investing on the side so that you have that passive income stream in case the business, um, you know, it's turns to pivot or Mm -hmm. the economy. So yeah, so that was really kind of my first start. Um, It was a kind of rough start a little bit, you know, there was a lot of work to this house. Um, And then of course the market shifted within like a year after buying, but it was, it was a great start. And, you know, I was young and kind of naive enough uh, and potentially crazy enough to get started. (laughs) Um, in that way. So I'm curious, was it real estate that you were interested in or was it what real estate can do for you, right? Because I think that's like an important distinction to make because I think there's a lot of people that might be listening. They're like, oh, I could, I have no interest in, you know, being, doing the HGTV stuff and remodeling a home. I don't know anything about properties. Like, so you said, I knew I wanted to get into real estate. I love real estate, but where did that come from? Was it from the idea of what real estate could do for you? Or did you just really sincerely have a passion for, for real estate and all the you know things that, that are involved? You know, I just loved it all. I loved the challenge and creativity that comes with owning properties and kind of figuring out what you can do with it to make yeah. it better. Yeah. Um, and then of course, like I had this goal of, well, okay, if I can clean this property up, and then, you know, rent it out and then eventually tear this house down and develop that into, you know, multifamily and things like that. So I would say it's both. There, there's, there was kind of like a, you know, sense of accomplishment and you did all this sweat equity and then you, you, you know, look at it and say, wow, this is so much better, you know, after the work that I've done. And then on, you know, to your, your point is the idea that this could be a stepping stone yeah. um, into a lifestyle mm-hmm. that passive income, you know, comes in that, that you can build. Mm-hmm. It's a little mm-hmm. bit of both. 
And I just want to underscore, because you probably said it without even thinking about it, but I want to underscore the mindset that went into that first property. Because you talked about, you said you saw the potential in it and it was a diamond in the rough. And you said that um, you had the opportunity or you got to paint it and do what you wanted with it. And I think so many people fall into this trap of seeing a property, especially one that's run down and they're like, oh, it's so much risk. Mm-hmm. Right. They don't see the potential. They see the risk first and then they see the the painting that they have to do and the the renovations that they have to do. And they think about they have to do it versus that they get to do it Mm -hmm. and they get to put their own mark on it. So I think, you know, one of our coaches talks to us all the time about, you know, it's about the story that you tell yourself. And. So I, I love that you framed it that way, that you saw all the positives in it, all the opportunity in it. And I can tell that that really got you off to a great start. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It's all about uh, your perception and the story that you tell yourself. Um, and the interesting thing is, again, you know, it turned out to be actually that investment went OK, but it was potentially, you know, it's the wrong time to buy. Mm. <laughs> I was probably too young but I learned so many lessons from that first property. And, right. um, and I think at the end of the day, you just have to make a decision and then take action. Yeah. And so that's kind of like the theme of my life is, you know, I make a decision and immediately take action, whether it goes well or not. Worst case scenario, you learn a great lesson. So then you bought that first property, you're 21, you buy that first property, you put work into it. And then did you sell that one or did you rent it out? Yes. Yep. So I ended up selling that one. Um, didn't make any money, um, but didn't lose any money. Um, and then I kind of uh, changed my strategy after that. So I realized I, I didn't know what I didn't know um, starting out. And so with every deal, you know, again, I've, I've learned so many lessons. So yeah. So from there, went on to purchase more uh, multifamily properties. And so duplexes, triplexes kind of became our next thing in addition to house hacking and then live in flips. So we kind of just, you know, over the years have tried a lot of different strategies. And again, you know, it just, we just love it. And, and then getting into out-of-state investing. And what were some of those lessons? You said there were a lot of lessons. What were some of those lessons like in that first deal that led you to at least, at least you didn't lose money. I mean, I always think, isn't that what <laughs> Warren Buffett said? He's like the number one rule, isn't it? Yes. Like, don't lose money. Second rule, don't lose money. So it's like, you know, at least you didn't lose money. So what were some of those lessons that at least led you to not, you know, not lose? Yeah. So um, one of the first lessons is I realized that with that property, um, had I rented it out, it would have been negative cash flow every month. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. the lesson I realized is, um, and even to this day, we don't buy a primary residence unless it will rent for at least what the mortgage payment is. Right. Yeah. And so like, so like that was a lesson. So for me, that's a plan B is plan okay. B. If, yeah. if the market tanks mm-hmm. and if we need to move or we need to rent this house out, then it, even in our primary residence, it has to be able to rent for at least what the mortgage would be. And what was um, the intention with that property? Was it to flip it or was it to like when you purchased it, what were you, or were, what were, what were the plans for it? Yeah. So to be honest, the plan was to just get it started. Okay. <laughs> um, and then it was kind of like, oh, but you know, it has this other potential of development in the future. Oh, maybe we right. could potentially flip it because that was 2007. Okay. But the thing is, and, and actually I think like another lesson is oh, that one, uh, I probably wasn't as purposeful as I should have been. Um, mm-hmm. So again, you know, had I had to rent it out, it would have been cash flow negative. And so mm-hmm. that doesn't meet, you know, our current criteria. 
Um, The other thing is I kind of underestimated what it would have cost to develop. So Mm -hmm. that plan didn't come to fruition. Mm -hmm. So nowadays, like when I analyze a deal, I make sure that it can make money and make sense with like three different strategies Mm -hmm. um, and apply different exit strategies because everyone in 2007 was flipping and everyone was like, you just have to get in. And if you own the property for like, the thing was, if you own the property for 10 years, then the property value is going to double. So really, I just wanted to get in. Um, Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious to know how you got from, because I know you're now at like, um, I don't know, over 200 properties or something crazy like that. Uh, we had another guest, uh, Michael Zuber, who was on our episode one, who also is at over 200 um, single, I think it's a mix though, of some single family homes and some uh, multifamily So how did you get there? Because I am still like, and I'm in the multifamily world. And so when I think about doing 200 units, I think just go out there and buy one apartment building for 200 units and close the deal and get it done with. But it's always really interesting to me because I did, you know, a couple of single family homes and smaller duplexes and then cut it at like three or four and was like, okay, I'm done with this. So how did you get from, you know, doing a few to doing so many? What, what did it take? And, um, yeah. And you did that in like one year, right? Did you jump from like (laughs) 19 to over 200 in one year? So how did that happen? You know, I got started in 2007 and then, um, bought another property in a duplex in 2008 and then bought another single family house in 2009. Um, and then also a duplex in 2009. So it was really kind of slow going in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, my husband and I got married in early 2010. And I remember this, uh, this conversation, we had spent all of our savings on the rental properties that we had just bought. So we went to like, we had pre-booked this honeymoon in Fiji. We were in paradise and we were literally broke and had no money. <laughs> and, and so, and so like, literally I remember this, um, I was calling my credit card, trying to see if there was anything left on the credit card so that we could do like an excursion and like actually leave the hotel. Um, oh. and we had totally maxed out our credit cards. Oh so here we are married and with no money. And I'm like, gosh, like we were sitting down, like we were kind of forced to just stay at this resort and start planning the rest of our life. And so I said, all right, we've got to figure this out because this way that we're, you know, going about it of buying one property a year, um, you know, living in some of these places, which is not super fun and, um, spending all of our money on rehabs, like there's gotta be another way. And so we kind of started like, you know, getting plans going. And then also I said, okay, we we need a goal and we need some like actual criteria to use Mm -hmm. for our investing. Because up until that point, our criteria was just kind of like, oh, this is a inexpensive property and it has some potential maybe here or there, like let's just buy it. So we didn't really have any goal that we were working towards. We had no criteria and we were kind of just throwing stuff against the wall to see what stuck really. Mm -hmm. Um, So we sat down, we spent a couple of days and decided that in the next five years, we were going to achieve financial freedom Mm -hmm. and financial freedom being uh, totally replacing his income and making sure that, you know, our rental properties would um, pay all of our bills so that we wouldn't be in the situation where we're on vacation calling credit card companies to see if we can get dispersions. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so, yeah, so we decided that we needed a different strategy, some goals and some criteria. 
Um, so pretty much we just started working at that and we both committed, we sat down and said, okay, we're not going to spend any money on luxury items. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not going to increase our lifestyle. Uh, we're going to focus on increasing our income, um, and like our active income. And then also, you know, taking any extra savings and putting it into rentals. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started just buying more properties. Uh, we started buying properties that were kind of fixer uppers that, uh, we did a lot of the work ourselves. Um, and, and got started that way. And then we'd fix them up and refinance them. And then we would go back to those properties that had a lot of equity and get home equity lines of credit to use to buy the next property. Mm -hmm. So we kind of found this way that, um, you know, by buying these certain types of properties, we could add value, refinance them, and then use the equity to, you know, kind of snowball Mm -hmm. effect. Um, Mm -hmm. And so our rentals would pay for the next rentals. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so by 2015, we had gone from like a negative net worth to over a million dollars in net worth, which is awesome. Wow. Um, And then at that point we were bringing in about, I think it was about $60,000 a year um, Mm -hmm. in net passive income. Uh Um, So we were able to kind of cover our living expenses. Uh Um, But then, so- How many properties was that? Was that like by with the 60,000 a year? How many was that? Yeah, I believe that that was eight properties okay. at that point. And yeah, so eight properties what, in five years. How do you get, because I know, and not to transition into a different direction, but because there's at some point you can only buy 10 properties, right? Like, so how do you get from, how do you get, how have you gotten over that hump? I'm always curious about that too. Yeah. So you can buy, uh, you can get 10 conventional loans per person, but okay. if you're buying separately with a spouse, mm-hmm. you can get 20. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can get up to 20 conventional loans. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of people don't know that. So a lot of people buy, you know, together with their spouse and right. then they're using loan spots that, um, you know, could potentially, uh, you know, be up to 20 if you double. So in other words, have like one loan or or have 10 loans under just your name and then 10 loans under Mm -hmm. just your spouse's name rather than doing them as joint joint applications every time. And then what do you do after 20? Yeah. So at that point, you have the option of going to a portfolio lender that'll pay off all of the 20 and put them into either like one loan and then you can start again on the conventional side or you could just go, you know, future acquisitions to be commercial or portfolio loans. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just got to pause for a moment and think about that moment when you guys were in that, in that hotel, in the resort in (laughs) Fiji, stuck in Fiji, (laughs) probably sipping the free drink. (laughs) And, and instead of being like all ho-hum and like, oh man, look at what we did to get us into this spot. We bought all this real estate. We, you know, wasted all our money buying real estate and got us in this spot. Let's not do that anymore. But instead you guys really looked at it and you said, no, let's buy more real estate. You know, this is the end goal that we have in mind. And to get there, we're going to buy more real estate. So I'm sure that took a lot of, a lot of guts and a lot of, a lot of foresight Mm -hmm. to be able to do Mm -hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess in hindsight, it probably sounded a little crazy. Um, but you know, I think at that time we had the knowledge and we had the drive and we're also very optimistic people. And, and I wouldn't say that we're even risk takers. I'm, I'm very kind of calculated, uh, with, you know, how I, how I buy properties. I mean, even like our entire portfolio, we keep the LTV at 50%. Um, so we're very conservative, uh, which I think is shocking to a lot of people. But yeah, we, we realized that we just had a poor plan to begin with. And so it was a matter of, well, 
you know, let's try a different strategy. Let's, let's do a pivot, become more purposeful and see what that does. And it worked out. So I I wanted to kind of go back really quick before we move on away from that story. So you're in 2015, you got $60,000 a year coming in. And then how did you, how did you make it to the the 200 or or over 200 (laughs) where you're at now? (laughs) Yeah. So in 2015, we were like, this is amazing. And at that point, so in late 2014, we had our first child. So our our daughter was born. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my husband was able to quit his job. And Mm. so he, you know, helped with our daughter. Um, He was, you know, kind of the primary parent while I was doing the real estate thing. Love Um, that. (laughs) Yeah. And so, but we also had that moment where we were like, okay, now he's not working, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And we have this child, but I was still working quite a bit. So I was working as an investment savvy real estate agent. So, So what was really fun was that I was investing for ourselves and helping other people do it. Right. And so I loved it, but to be honest, I can be a workaholic. And so we were like, shoot, okay, so we have this tiny child and uh, we have this mm-hmm. passive income coming in, which is fantastic, but now we need to replace my income. Because what I realized is that once we had this, you know, tiny little person now in our family is I wanted to spend more time with our family. Yeah. Um, so for the, that five years, we'd been hustling and working like crazy to build up this passive income. And then all of a sudden it was like, I don't, I don't want to work that hard anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't want to work, you know, seven days a week, but that's not what this is about. So we got more purposeful and we got a new plan at that point. And to be honest, we were willing to take some more risks. Um, so we got into out of state investing into some bigger deals. Um, we sold off some of our kind of lower cash flowing deals and got into other properties. And then in 2019, we did our first syndication. So okay. now we have 239 units, mm-hmm. uh, 27, we own hundred percent ourselves, um, at 50 LTV and then 212 of those, um, is an apartment complex that we oh, closed. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. For some reason, I yeah. thought that those 200 were single family homes. So there it's actually oh, an no. apartment building. Okay. Got it. Okay, yeah. cool. Congrats. That would have been a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I was like, in one year, oh my gosh, how in the world did you do that? <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Congratulations on doing that. What market was it in? Thank you. That's in Irving, Texas. Okay, cool. And where are you located? Seattle, Washington. Okay, so you're doing it from afar. Did you guys have partners on that deal or? Yes, yes. Yeah. So we have local okay. asset managers there. Yeah. Okay, Nice. And what was that like going from these smaller multifamilies and single families to doing your first syndication? I mean, how did you how did you go about that? That's a big undertaking. Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost is about the team. Um, so the the track record of the team. For me, you know, I do a lot of due diligence on deals. So looking at the deal, but uh, most importantly, the team and the, you know, the asset managers that are there mm-hmm. locally operating that deal. So yeah, and then I flew down and took a look at it myself, loved the property, loved the area. I even, you know, drove around and looked at a lot of other comparable properties to kind of look at it from a tenant standpoint. It's like, Mm -hmm. if I were a tenant, would I live Mm -hmm. at our complex over other Mm -hmm. complexes? Yeah. So everything just lined up and worked out really well, but it was a little scary at first um, Mm -hmm. because I am used to being in control of our own property. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm used to running all the you know, kind of the asset management and the operations and um, implementing our own approach. 
Um, so this was different, you know, having partners. And I'm actually closing on a self-storage deal um, next month with another partner of mine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so 2020 is kind of, 2019, mm-hmm. 2020 is about um, getting outside of my personal comfort zone, the success that we've had over the years, just doing it on our own and getting into other bigger deals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What I love about those bigger deals is it's, you know, so much about what you do at Agents Invest is about helping others to get on that path to financial freedom and invest for themselves. And syndications is all about that. I mean, at the heart of syndication, it's it's a group effort. Everybody pools their resources together. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's perfectly in line with everything that you've been trying to do. Um, and so are you planning on doing, so you mentioned the self-storage one, are you going to continue down the syndication path or do you think you'll do more of the the smaller multifamily or single family homes? Yeah. So um, I think that there's a place for both. I, I really, I, you know, I, I love just owning a great kind of small multifamily property with yards and, you know, two bed, one bath kind of units. We actually just closed on one um, on Monday. Um, a duplex in Tennessee. So I, I still love those properties, but I'm also liking the challenge of the bigger deals and partnering with others and, um, you know, kind of making it um, a win-win for everyone. So, so yeah, I think we'll do both this year. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, is the cash flow on these single family homes, because this is true for me, for mine, are you looking at roughly like two to $500 per door cash flow? Is that, is that about right? You know, so we don't have any single family homes. So we all, we own um, personally all small multifamily. Oh, Um, and actually I guess we have one single family home. Um, But yeah, so we get higher cash flow. Um, So on a lot of them, we're in the, I mean, even in the like four to $600 a month um, per unit. Yeah. Um, Yep. Okay, nice. We'll get back to our conversation with Jennifer in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com invest. And now... Back to our chat with Jennifer Beatles. Well, I wanted to ask about Agents Invest because 
you know, so many people who, <laughs> who think about real estate agents, right? They're like, oh, well, they know real estate. Obviously, they also <laughs> know real estate investing, right? And um, for those of us in the biz, we know that that's not always the case. So what has been your experience and what led you to specifically focus on helping real estate agents to really get into and understand this space? Kind of what started it is, so as I mentioned, so I got my real estate license in 2009 and I wanted to focus on working with investors, primarily buy and hold investors. So I would help people build rental portfolios and I just loved it. Um, and it, what was great is that they learned from me and I learned from them. So that was really fantastic. And when the market shifted here in Seattle, I mean, it probably did a hard shift in like 2016. Here I was as a real estate agent with a real estate business and the deals just didn't make sense anymore. And so I had a lot of investors that were like, okay, well, so do we continue to pay these prices? They're like, what do we do? And at one point somebody said, gosh, if, I, if only I had a you in other markets, I would continue to buy. And I kind of felt that same way too, is I was like, shoot, I want to continue to invest. It doesn't make sense locally. So I started to go down the path of out-of-state investing. Um, and I researched a bunch of different markets, honed in on um, really two markets that I was kind of focused on. And then I was like, okay, great. Now I need a real estate agent. How do I find one? And how do I find one that knows how to work with investors? Mm -hmm. And to be honest, it was a really frustrating process. Yeah. I made a lot of calls. Mm -hmm. I called brokerages. I'm like, hey, who's your investment savvy broker in the office? And they're like, what? Do you want to like, are you moving here? Like what? <laughs> like we don't have that. And so finally, um, I think it was through a property manager. I finally found one. He's like, hey, he's kind of a newer guy, but he's super eager owns rental properties himself, I'll connect you. Um, and we hit it off and it was fantastic. And he's like, yeah, I love working with investors because they're direct, they're bottom line, you know, it's unemotional. And so it was a fantastic, you know, deal. We actually did a, a duplex. It was our first kind of out of state. We renovated it from afar and it went really great. And so I was sharing that with a couple of my investors and they all said, oh, can we connect with that agent and can they help us too? Uh, so we started a referral relationship as I said, okay, great. You know, I'll, um, connect you with some of our local Seattle area investors so that you can help them do what you did for me, you know, buying properties there. And, uh, and so then it really took off and my investors are like, well, do you have any more of those? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so yes, we started to put teams together in different investment locations that made sense, you know, primarily for small value add multifamily. And so I would find these investment savvy agents and we would do that connection. And so that's a great, it's a huge passion of mine because it creates a win-win for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, so for the agents, they get access to investors that they wouldn't otherwise have in their local market. Mm -hmm. um, and then the investors get access to agents that know how to work with investors and actually, you know, have that skill set. So to your original question is, yes, yeah, it's, it's really hard to find agents that understand how to work with investors mm -hmm. um, because there's kind of this gap. It's like on the commercial side, most commercial agents, I mean, unless you're buying a big property, they're not going to sell you a duplex. Mm -hmm. They're not going to, I mean, a lot of them, you know, in some markets, they won't even do, you know, under 10 units, right? And then on the residential side, nobody is teaching these agents how to serve and work with mm -hmm. investors. And so, you know, some of them like want to, or maybe they can sell a duplex. But when you get into, you know, asking them questions like, well, what would the potential rent be? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, what would the ARV be if I fix this place up, increase the NOI, then what would it be worth? And a lot of those mm -hmm. agents 
just don't know how to answer those questions because it's a totally different skill set. And so we love making those connections between the agents and the investors for the agents that have that knowledge and know-how. And that's a big goal for our company this year is to help more agents mm-hmm. learn the investor side of the business so that they can invest for themselves and also serve and help their clients. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it makes so much sense because they're so close to the inventory day mm-hmm. in and day out. And so it yeah. makes sense that they would, um, they should get involved themselves. And I love that you um, have established this network um, and that you're really helping um, the investors and those agents to communicate with each other. I had a very similar experience. I honed in on a market. I called uh, a brokerage and asked to speak to an agent who knew how to work with investors. They put me in touch with somebody and she was she was a very nice person. Mm-hmm. She's a very yeah. nice person. But um, I told her about the property I was looking at and she said, oh, my son's soccer practice is right next door. I'm going to go look at it for you. And so she goes and, and then the notes she sends me are about, it's got very nice landscaping, <laughs> the paint is nice. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's a good start. But like, let's talk Show about me the money. cash flow. Let's talk about <laughs> rent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think you brought up a really good little secret hack there, which is to go through a property manager. I think a lot yeah. of people don't think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a property manager, you know, the real estate agent is really sort of the first person most people think of to go to, but the property manager is really your long-term partner. And a lot of times you can find sometimes off-market deals through property managers, which I think a lot of people are not aware of or they don't even think about. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They're a great resource. And oftentimes, I mean, they should be the one to tell you what, you know, rents would be as well. And there's also, I would say, uh, property managers that are kind of investor friendly and then some that aren't. I mean, so for us, like we vet the property managers too, is like, can you serve and can you help out-of-state investors? Meaning, can you oversee any initial renovations? Can you give us an idea of what the current tenants are paying? Is that fair market rent or is that below rent? And so, you know, kind of getting them on the same page too. Yeah. Now, okay. So before we transition to the Investing for Good Impact round, I did want to be sure to ask you about your daughter and your family and your travels because that is, (laughs) I see all your photos and it's just absolutely stunning and so incredible. Um, But you guys are are traveling a lot. And how old is your daughter now? She just turned five. She just turned five. Oh my gosh. So, okay. How many countries? has she been into at this point? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's... Um, I think she's been to 13 countries. 13 oh or 14. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. That's insane. And what are you teaching her, um, if anything, about real estate or finances, mm-hmm. money? So she loves to be on a job site. So um, <laughs> in 2018, <laughs> we were building a duplex about 30 minutes away from our house. And so we would take her there every single week and kind of explain the process. We have a lot of really fun pictures of her, like with her measuring tape, kind of checking things out. But yeah, she loves it. I mean, anytime we do any kind of like renovations, we take her to the property, we explain that, you know, we're fixing it up so that another family can move in and um, that helps fund our travels. And so we're very kind of purposeful about teaching her that. I'm hoping that it doesn't skip a generation and that she doesn't hate real estate uh, when she when she gets older. Um, but so far, she loves it. And it's kind of funny, too, because she will say, um, like the other day, she said something like, 
mommy, how's the house doing with the big uh, shop in the back? And she'll kind of like remember little quirky things about our properties and ask questions about them. And also, you know, she'll ask about the tenants as well as, you know, how's that family doing? Because sometimes we'll bring her to like, uh, you know, a walkthrough with the tenant uh, so that she can kind of understand (laughs) the process. So that's one thing that we do with her. We also have a chore system for her. So she has the ability to, when we're home and not traveling, uh, do chores, earn money for that. Uh, so that she can buy things on our trips. So we don't uh, typically like buy her a bunch of stuff uh, when we travel for one, because it's really hard to travel with. But we do allow her to use her allowance to buy something that would be meaningful from those travels. So, so yeah, and she loves to travel. That's probably one of her favorite things. She loves to fly and experience new cultures. It's really fun traveling with kids because people kind of treat you differently. <laughs> I think that they're I much more friendly. Um, yeah. And so she's always getting like candies and little things. And um, I remember in Cambodia, she was kind of a big deal. And, and it's funny, I have pictures of other people taking pictures with her. Uh, so we'd have like staff at our hotel, you know, people at the markets just wanting to take pictures with her. And so she just loved it. She just, you know, felt like a little celebrity. So, um, so cute. So cute. And then the other kind of fun thing too. So she, um, you know, has like frequent flyer accounts. Um, she's got, I think like three credit cards. We have a Vanguard account for her. Um, I'm waiting until she turns six so that we can get her a bank account. Um, (laughs) but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. Starting early. I love that. And it goes back to what Julie was asking uh, at the beginning of this interview, which is, you know, were you interested in real estate or the life that real estate could offer you? And I love that you said that you um, help your daughter to learn that the real estate helps to fund the travel, which she loves and enriches all of your lives so she can see that connection really early on in life. I think you're you're really staving off the, the risk that it'll skip a generation. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Crossing our fingers. We'll see. Time will tell. I cannot wait to hear more stories um, as your daughter gets older, um, because obviously as they grow up, um, you know, your teaching style and, you know, strategies and things will obviously evolve and change as they become older. So um, we'll definitely have to have you back on the show in a couple of years and see what you're up to then in terms of teaching your daughter. Um, All right. Should we move into the investing for good impact round? Let's do it. Uh, Okay. So we're going to ask you three questions about investing for good. Um, So the first question is investing in yourself. So I think you kind of already answered that question, but what is one way that your investments are serving you today and um, helping you live a, a life by design or living a better life? Yeah. So, um, I mean, our investments allow us the freedom to travel. So Mm -hmm. last year we spent four months (laughs) traveling. We were kind of pushing the envelope to see, you know, how long we could travel and, uh, and kind of make it work. So, so that's a huge thing is just having that freedom, having, knowing that you can be anywhere in the world and having that passive income coming in and not having to worry about, you know, paying bills and things like that. That is, that has truly had the most impact. Um, on us. So I'm curious, did anything happen over that four month time span that was like, oh my gosh, like we're all the way over here and this is happening there. And, you know, you're on the phone at like three in the morning because of the time change or whatever, anything like crazy like that happened? Um, I wouldn't say anything crazy. I mean, something always happens when we're gone. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, we just, we just have a setup and a system for handling that. So, um, I think we had a sewer backup at one point, uh, we had another one where the fridge went out. That was kind of like, I think right around Thanksgiving time. Um, but yeah, no, we've never found ourselves, you know, on the phone at 3am kind of like freaking out. It's just like, Oh, okay. Something came up and then we dispatch our, you know, people to get to take care of it. That's so cool. Where did you guys go for, for four months? A bunch of different places or was it, did you stay put for kind of? Yeah. So those are like kind of different trips. Um, but yeah, last year we did, um, we started the year in Singapore and then, um, and we were also in Malaysia. We went to South Korea. We did, um, a road trip through Germany. So we went to Germany, France, Czech Republic, and Austria. We went to Yellowstone, we went to Puerto Rico, we went to Orlando and did the Disney thing, and then uh, Costa Rica. Nice. Okay, cool. I'm just taking notes because I'm always wanting to travel internationally, and I don't know where to go that is safe for for kids. And my husband's always like telling me it's going to be crazy and dangerous, and I always try to tell him, like, no, it's not. You just have to know where to go with kids, you know, where it's safe, so... Yeah. We love Southeast Asia. Okay, cool. All right. Second question is um, investing in others. So what is one thing that you can share with us, like an investing hack that might be able to help someone who's listening? It could be something, you know, quick and easy, something, maybe a little secret that has helped you, anything like that. Yeah. I would say um, once you make a decision to invest, Just do it and take action. I know, um, you know, sometimes we'll have investors come into our database that are like, yeah, I've decided that I want to invest and I think I'm going to do it next year. (laughs) Why wait so long? Um, And so, so yeah, I I would say, you know, make the decision and then take action. Yeah. Take action immediately. And I love what you guys are doing because you offer, um, you know, a great service. You guys have a lot of educational pieces as well for investors. So people that are maybe a little on the fence I think you guys have really great content for that, but I would say just take action, yeah. um, whatever that might be. So, you know, for beginner investors, a lot of times we say, you know, buy a house hack, live in half of a duplex, you know, do that, move out after a year, but just make the decision and take action. I think that's so important for people to hear because I think so many women, especially I talk with investors all the time. And I can hear it in their voice that they're afraid to make the wrong decision. And you got to get over that because you're going to make mistakes and mistakes are the things that you learn from. And if you don't ever make a mistake, you're never going to learn and you're never going to start trekking forward. And so I think that is really important for people to keep that in mind that, you know, and that's not to say like, go out there and just make any old investment and see what happens, but obviously do it, you know, with intention and, and do your due diligence, but get out there and, and yeah, Yeah. don't wait, don't wait for the right time to invest or the right Mm -hmm. deal or this, you know, get out there and do your homework and find a deal that looks good to you and and get out there and and start doing it. So I love that. All right. Last question. So investing, uh, in the world. So what are you doing in your investments that is helping make the world a better place? Yeah. So I would say a couple of different things. Um, so fixing up properties, oftentimes the neighbors are very happy about that. (laughs) So, um, I feel like, you know, we're kind of giving back and contributing to the neighborhood by cleaning up some of these properties that are just in not good shape. Um, the other thing is, you know, the majority of our rentals are affordable. 
Um, yeah. So, you know, they're, um, they're at affordable rates. We, I kind of call that uh, recession-proof investing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, because I got started in the Great Recession, um, we really focused on not going super high-end with our rentals where yeah. it might be hard to, to make the rent payment, you know, if the economy goes down. Um, so that's another thing. And then um, I would say the other thing, so this is kind of a cause that's near and dear to us, but about, uh, I think we have nine units that are supported living. And so what mm-hmm. it is, it's it's a government-backed program and all of our tenants have intellectual disabilities. And mm. so they have caregivers that look after them. Oftentimes these people are stuck in hospitals. They don't have a place to live out in the community because uh-huh. one, either landlords don't know about the program um, and two, there's a little bit of a stigma behind that. So we love our supported living rentals. We have great staff that take care of them. And then, you know, just the tenants themselves are fantastic and the families. So, um, so yeah, so those are three different ways love for us. all of that. Yeah. Love all of that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Real estate is such a great, such a great feel good investment, yeah. right? Uh-huh. I mean, you're putting your money to work for you, for your family, and you're also that money is making a difference in the community and mm-hmm. for those residents who are living in those homes mm-hmm. that you're renovating. So love yeah. that. Absolutely. Well, Jennifer, I'm sure that people will want to learn more about you and all that you're doing and possibly to um, get in touch with some of those agents you have all across the country. Um, So how can they learn more about you? Yeah, so our website is agentsinvest.com. So really simple. So um, yeah, agentsinvest.com. You can fill out the form and we'll make a connection for you. You can kind of see the deals that we have in um, different areas. We send everything out from... I mean, we'll do development deals. We have, you know, small multifamily, small apartment complexes, self-storage, a lot of a different variety of deals from our agent partners. Cool. Awesome. I'll definitely be well, checking as soon that as we out. Get off this <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to take a look. <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. Jennifer Beatles, creator and president of Agents Invest. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jennifer. Thanks, Julie Thank and you. Annie. Thank you so Thank much. You. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast, and be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.